As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our Champions League semi-final first leg reviews. Man City and Real Madrid delivered a classic featuring a right back whose age was almost Jurassic, while Big Ben's made amends for previous penalty misses with a Panenka that paid dividends. Meanwhile, Liverpool made it hot for a Villarreal side who managed only a single shot. The floodgates opened in the second half, but will Unai Emery have the last laugh? Yeah, probably not. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who hits his points with the grace and poise of Thiago Alcantara hitting raking passes across the field, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I've said this before, but that might be your nicest introduction you've ever given me. I will absolutely take any comparison uh, to Thiago because he quite good. He quite good. I feel like every week one of you says that's the nicest thing you've ever said about me, as if to imply that I only say mean things, Taylor. Not only, but frequently. (laughs) All right, well, here goes this one. Also, here is a man who's just like Kareem Benzema because he's got ice in his veins. Literally, he has ice in his veins, which might explain why he's so ill all the time. Graham Rudman, hello. (laughs) Hello, Ryan Bailey. This is the second time that you've compared me this week to Karim Benzema or made a link to Karim Benzema. That's true. Uh, I don't don't like him that much, do I? I mean, I do. He has a very good football player he's he's good at the soccer the champions league is good is another conclusion that i have from this week it's just all hot takes from me at the moment indeed i was just uh thinking about the ice in his veins his edison-esque approach to taking penalties rather than saving them i suppose so it was, cool it was very impressive wasn't it graham it was i couldn't yeah. have done that well yeah <laughs> well there's reasons there's reasons there's, there's there's a lot of things i could have done that he did in that <laughs> match but that was certainly one of them Oh, uh, rounding out our pack a man with stats for days. He'll be giving us Champions League XGs and all the up-to-date population data on Villarreal. Gerard Alry, hello. Google's most recent <laughs> census in the town of Villarreal. Ryan, uh, I-, I don't have that data on hand, but I will do my very best to get it for you before the end of this show. If only it was out there somewhere. We knew mm, how many people like lived a- in there. Around, what would you say, Ryan? Around 40,000, maybe, give or take? I, th- I think it's nearer to 49 thousand nine hundred ninety nine that's right just in that in that region yeah it's fifty thousand five hundred and seventy seven as of the 2018 census graham i'm not here for you coming from my job okay let's let's (laughs) take a step back like 
We heard that stat a lot, and I want to believe that it's true because that makes what VRL are doing all the more impressive. But is there a chance that it's that situation where it's like the the city itself or the town itself is this number, and then the metro area is actually like six million people, or is it very likely that it is that kind of smaller number? Because I need it to be that, but I have a feeling it's much larger when you incorporate the surrounding well, area. Well, I mean, Villarreal is is pretty close to Valencia, which is one are. of the biggest cities in there Spain. So, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't call Valencia the metro area of Villarreal, though, Graham. To no, be fair. no, there is a there is a bit of distance, but yeah, it's it's uh, like a reasonable drive's distance with to uh, to 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 Valencia. Taylor, stop trying to ruin the narrative, will you? Behave yourself. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> anyway, we've got lots to talk about today. We should probably get straight to it with one of the best games I've seen in a very, very long time. Manchester City 4, Real Madrid 3, the zero-time champions getting the upper hand on the 13-time champions. Or apparently not, if you listen to a lot of the commentators on CBS Sports. Apparently Real Madrid are ahead in this one. Anyway, um, let's start with uh, Taylor. What, what did you make of this game as as... A thing of fun. Like, how much did you enjoy yourself watching this game? I felt like I it was a several stages above anything I've seen in recent months. I enjoyed it so much that it made me apprehensive because I was worried that I was setting myself up for disappointment. I thought at the end of the first half, there's no way this can continue. It's going to get boring. City are going to go tiki-taka. Something is going to happen to just slow it down because you cannot have a game be this fun from start to finish. And it turns out, if anything, it was even more ridiculous in the second half. This was incredibly fun. I I will say for a moment, I thought you were going to begin with the CONCACAF Champions League because that one equally entertaining and dramatic and all over the place. But I think probably smart to start with Man City Madrid uh, because of, you know, the profile of the clubs, the profile of the competition, but also because seven goals between these two was not what I was expecting. Well, it was a very, very open game. Um, this Madrid, uh, this Real Madrid side, certainly not taking lessons from Atleti in this competition. <laughs> what, what exactly made it so open, Taylor? I mean, I think that neither team is capable of defending or parking the bus <laughs> or willing to. I mean, I, I do think, like, if you're Man City, the only way that they can go into defensive mode, quote-unquote, as I see it, is to basically revert to possession, keeping the ball, use your technical ability to just see the game out. But I can't really envision them sitting deep and bunkering, and the same goes for Real Madrid. I just don't think that's in their, their DNA, but I also think that's not a thing that Carlo Ancelotti is going to ask them to do. I think he's going to back his big-time performers and so this was an unstoppable force meeting meeting an immovable object but then kind of both of them continuing to do what they wanted to do and that made it really entertaining for me but I think also when you have the technical ability on display from some of these players it makes it that much more open because if you give Luka Modric a couple seconds on the ball he can find that space he can find that gap and I think we saw that I think the same goes for many different Man City players and so you have a ton of technical ability but then you have very good attacking play very good managers and you end up with a very good game weirdly Taylor I I agree with your general point but I disagree with the fact that these teams couldn't have packed it in if they wanted to. Or maybe on a perfect day, I think they could have packed it in if they wanted to. I think back to, I believe, last year's Champions League, it was City versus PSG. And City did kind of pack it in and play a Diego Simeone-esque 4-4-2 block in their own half and compress space. I don't know if anyone else remembers that tie or that particular game that I'm talking about. They've done it before, and they do have a pretty nicely drilled 4-4-2 block that they've used, I think, starting sometime last season. and, And they still use it to this day. They have that stuff. And for Real Madrid, we would just have to look back, what, two rounds to that round of 16 game, a tie against PSG, where they bunkered 
Like, like they fully bunkered in the first leg against uh, against PSG, and they were too defensive and couldn't create any uh, any attacking chances. And I thought they were done in that game after Mbappe scores at the end to put PSG in a decent spot ahead of the second leg. Both teams can do that stuff, but they they just didn't. Real Madrid stepped up to press, and they were aggressive. They weren't always getting forward, but they, they forced four turnovers from Man City inside the first 30 minutes in Man City's own defensive third. City was trying to build up. Ederson, I don't think, was particularly sharp on the ball in this game. The center backs weren't all that sharp. There were turnovers to be had, and Real Madrid was pressing up for them. They were also sitting deep, though, and, and we see that on at least the, the first goal. We see it a number of different times in this game. And for City's part, they're already dealing with their third choice right back. If you think Kyle Walker out in this game, Jao Cancelo out in this game, John Stones starts, he leaves before the first half ends, and Fernandinho comes on. I am not sure, Taylor, and this gets back to me agreeing with your point, I'm not sure you can really be a super well-drilled and effective defensive team when you have a mismatch of the quality of Fernandinho versus Vinicius at right back versus left wing for Real Madrid. We see Vinicius just absolutely dust Fernandinho. The ball's coming into his feet. He lets it roll between Fernandinho's legs. He drives down the left wing. He cuts in. He doesn't really cut inside, but he he drives into the box. And he keeps going, Graham, and he scores, and it's a beautiful finish. It's hard to defend that way. City could have sat super, super deep. But again, to your point, I'm not sure that's entirely in their DNA. So yeah, man, just all of the stars aligned for this game. And I think the the Stones injury, getting Fernandinho to right back against Vinicius Jr. is like the biggest and and last and best star that aligned to make this game what it was. I think this is an entirely different game if Kyle Walker starts this match. Cancelo as well, but to a, to a lesser extent, just because so much of Real Madrid's play was coming through Vinicius on that left side. And if you think about the cross that comes into the box for Benzema's first goal, which is a ridiculous finish, it's barely even an opportunity for him to contort his body like that and, and, and shape the volley into the net like he did. But there's so much time for, I think it's Ferland Mo- uh, Mondi, to get the cross in. I'm not convinced that Kyle, if Kyle Walker's on the pitch that that happens in, in, in that same way. I think there's probably a bit more pressure on the ball. He certainly doesn't get cooked by uh, like Fernandinho did, like Joe mentioned, for the, for the Vinicius goal. So I, I think had Walker played, just because of his recovery pace, and we've spoken a number of times about how his, his pace is so crucial to the way that City are allowed to, they, they can play with a high line because of him. If he plays, it's, it's a completely different match. But as a neutral, I was glad that he didn't because it was very fun with him sidelined. Joe, I'm glad you bring uh, back up the idea that City can sit in a little bit deeper uh, and have done that previously because I do have goldfish brain and I definitely did forget that. Uh, so my, my like clarifying question for you then is, do you think there's a chance then that like they didn't want to do that in game? That if you start with that as your tactic, that you can sort of, you know what's expected, you have the basic idea, the basic fundamentals down at kickoff versus having to adjust on the fly against a team like Real Madrid. Because I, I just couldn't see them coming out of halftime and changing their entire game plan from what it was in the first to the second. I could see them doing a few things differently, but to me, to change it entirely with the game going the way it was potentially gives momentum to Real Madrid, and I think that's more so what I mean. But do you think that they could have done that? Could they have switched at halftime and gone more defensive and maybe had a little bit more success in the defensive side of things? I think they could have, but I don't think it would be very pep of them to do that, right? I don't think it would be... (laughs) It's just not how he wants to play in 99% of situations. He has. I I do really think that Pep Guardiola has become more pragmatic over time, right? We think back to that Liverpool game that we did the, the BR show around. 
City's game plan in that one was finding space for Bernardo Silva and Rodri and the two center backs deep in, in possession and playing long balls over the top to runners. That's not something we, we maybe would have seen from a Pep Guardiola team five, six, seven, ten years ago, right? So I think Pep is becoming a little more pragmatic in how he approaches things. But still in this game, when we could see it from the start and how City initially approached it with their high pressing, with their 4-3-3 shape that becomes, I don't know, 4-2 four, four, at times with De Bruyne stepping high. It's fluid, right? Zinchenko, yeah. Taylor coming inside, sometimes it's a back three. Whatever that looks like, they're fluid, they're aggressive, they were trying to possess. And, and I think for the most part, they controlled this game. I don't think Pep, coming out of halftime with an advantage, was really all that keen on making any massive changes. Now maybe he should have later on in that half, but being up... Being up at that point, 2-1 coming out of halftime, doesn't feel like a time where you really need to make a whole lot of changes. And it also felt like he didn't have a great deal of options. This sounds silly because obviously Manchester City, all the money they have spent and the squad depth that they have. But in terms of making the system and the team on the pitch more defensive... He could have put Nathan Ake on, I guess, at left back, and he's he's more of a, a compact conservative option. But then to invite Rodrigo and later Asensio and Camavinga, Camavinga to, to drive into that area, that, that feels dangerous for Man City. Fernandinho, who may have been an option, you could have put him in a, in a double pivot with Rodri in the centre, although I don't think Pep normally does that. But theoretically, you could have done that. Well, Fernandinho's already playing at right back and Stones has already come off injured and Walker and Cancelo are out, so who's playing right back? So in a weird way, I'm not entirely sure. Yes, okay, he's got a lot of adept, adaptable players who maybe if you say to them, okay, let's hang on to the ball a little bit more, maybe they're able to do that. But in terms of the team and the changes he could could have made, he, he, he was kind of operating a little bit with a straitjacket. There wasn't a great deal that he could have done, and that's probably reflected in the fact that he only makes uh, two changes in this game. And just to be clear, I, Real Madrid showed some good things in that second half, they didn't create like a ton of super high-quality chances. The Vinicius Jr. goal in the 55th minute was their most high-quality, was their highest-quality open-play shot of that half by far. There were a few others that, that had maybe a 0.05 or a 0.03 XG value, which means they're scored 5 out of 100 times or 3 out of 100 times. And then you have the Benzema penalty, which is, of course, their, their best chance of the game because it's a penalty and that's worth a, a whole bunch of XG. I mean, it, it wasn't like Real Madrid were running totally rampant, but they did have individual quality advantages in particular areas. And credit to them, because they were trying to pump the ball down that left side, as you said, Graham, and target exactly the player they should have been targeting in Fernandinho. Yeah, uh, Graham, I, I do find it hilarious that a team with Man City's resources and a manager like Pep Guardiola, who probably dreams about buying fullbacks every single night, he's probably yeah. bought a couple during this podcast, that they don't have, you know, they don't have enough cover to not have Fernandinho playing as fullback. But this this game and its openness, Graham, is it fair to just simply say it's because of the sort of key weak links that both teams had with Man City with their fullback situation and Real Madrid with, you know, ha- having lack of Casemiro and having Tony Kroos playing in an un- yeah. in a position he wasn't used to. Yeah, I think this this match was generally about the the weak links, as we've already mentioned. John Stones, and then laterally uh, Fernandinho was certainly one for for Manchester City, and then for Real Madrid, City just found so much space for large periods of this match, especially in the opening 20 minutes, when after that 20 minutes, I thought there was a chance City could just blow Real Madrid away and, and that would be the tie done and dusted there. But there was such a disconnect between Real Madrid's front three and their midfield, that Ederson was repeatedly playing the ball into the middle of the pitch and just completely eliminating a big part of the Real Madrid team. 
And from there, City were overwhelming Real Madrid through De Bruyne and Bernardo, whose runs were really important. I'll come on to that later. And then Foden, and then with Casemiro missing, so he's obviously a big miss for Real Madrid in the centre of the pitch. It just left Militao and Carvajal so exposed. And and Kroos was a, a victim of the system here. He was a victim of not having Casemiro alongside him. He didn't have a good game here at all, I thought. He is brilliant when he's got protection in the form of Casemiro. But he just doesn't have that here. And Krostis doesn't have the speed or I think the the defensive sharpness, the, the instincts to play as a single pivot, which at times is what he was doing with Modric and, and um, I almost said Ernesto Valverde, Ferdi Valverde in that midfield. He just doesn't have those instincts to play against in that way against this City team like that and Mares was he was causing problems so Foden and Mares were keeping the width but particularly Mares on the right side and he was stretching Real Madrid and they just couldn't handle the players driving at them them centrally and what Bernardo was doing he was a very important figure for Real Madrid here he was occupying the Real Madrid defenders primarily uh, David Alaba who I thought had a difficult evening when he was on Alaba kept on getting drawn to Bernardo as he was making runs into the box and that was opening up this half space for Mares to drive into and that's what Mares does for the first City goal which gives them the space to play the ball it's a brilliant ball there's still a lot for him to do to find De Bruyne at the back post but that creates the space for him to to play that ball and for the first 50 minutes it just really felt like City's system and their movement was going to completely tear Real Madrid apart Militao and Alaba probably thought it was a good idea to, to stay tight but when they were going tight they were being dragged at a position and that was opening up pockets of space for other players it was it was a nightmare for them and it wasn't really until Benzema scores that goal that the dynamic of the match slightly changed I think Mares as well misses a, a really good opportunity where he he perhaps could have squared it and instead goes into the side netting and up until that moment it, it really felt like City were just going to have everything their own way. Graham two things off of that one first I'm really glad you brought up the Casemiro Cruz uh, thing because I agree with you that Cruz starting where Casemiro normally would had about as bad of a game as I've seen from him. And it's a reminder, because we get this question a lot about, like, could this guy play this role? Why don't they use this winger as a striker? Why don't we use this fullback as a winger? And I get where those questions come from, and sometimes I think it can happen, and sometimes it can work. But this game, to me, was a good reminder of how important repetition is to getting that level of comfort to kind of know naturally or by instinct what you need to be doing what your responsibilities are so you can sort of play in that flow state I talk about that a lot but I think that's really important whereas in this game I think you could see the wheels turning a little bit for Tony Cruz in a way that you normally can't and it's only what five ten yards like uh, like more towards the middle and maybe five or ten yards deeper but that has a big difference in the way you're reading and evaluating the game and so I think it demonstrated how difficult it can be even when you're when you're a world-class player to just have your role change a little bit and be asked to do new things it can take a little bit of time and against man city this is the second thing graham that i think i totally agree with against man city they can exploit that so adeptly and i saw that routinely joe you mentioned it there briefly but zinchenko occasionally would come inside and be like almost a double pivot, but then would still move wide on occasion. And so like in moments you had a midfield four for Man City that could overwhelm Madrid when Madrid would send numbers uh, more towards the middle to balance that, then uh, Zinchenko would pop out wide. And suddenly you've got an overload in the middle for Madrid, but you've got gaps out wide. Phil Foden ended up being isolated a bunch of the time, which I think is what they wanted. I think they wanted him in 1v1 situations. And so for Real Madrid, I think they were basically reacting from the jump. And I totally agree that the Benzema goal 
really gives them a lifeline back into this game. I think at that point they were just holding on for dear life. And when you have Benzema score, it's a reminder like, oh yeah, these guys can can be vulnerable. We can find ways through. And I think that sort of gave them that renewed energy to keep fighting in the second half. This game is delicately poised indeed. We're going to take a very quick break, but we're not done talking about this game. A little bit more to come after this short one. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We're talking Man City, Real Madrid. We were talking about uh, Karim Benzema's Penenka penalty to make it 4-3 oh. uh, before we came back from the break. A wonderful Penenka goal as it was. Very cheeky. Uh, there's this footage of Sergio Aguero. I think he does a Twitch feed yep. uh, of him reacting to that and a couple of other goals, <laughs> which is wonderful. You should look it up, listen it, if you haven't seen it already. But um, Graham, you know, Man City taking the lead in this game after 90 seconds. The lead doubled uh, 10 minutes later through Jesus with his fifth goal of the week, we should add. Mm-hmm. Um, it did seem like there was a few chances after that I think Phil Foden put one wide Mares did as well it felt like there could have been sort of four possibly five nil up are they going to be ruining that uh, not not taking greater advantage of uh, Real Madrid's uh, sleepy defense should we call it I think I think they will rue not making the most of that. Well, when does Benzema score? How, how soon does he score? He scores 33 minutes in and until then it really felt like City had everything going their own way so certainly that that 30 minute spell as I said earlier, it really felt like the tie might have been done there because if City scored a third goal, I'm I'm not sure there's any way back for, for Real Madrid from, from that point. But the, the expected goals actually at full time, both teams did slightly overperform their expected goals. I think City was 3.1 from memory and Real Madrid were 1.6. Um, so I think after those those initial chances, there weren't there perhaps weren't as many chances as um, maybe we we think there were a lot of like block shots from the edge of the box, which aren't particularly high uh, value chances, I guess. But the um, yeah, the the, the entire d- dynamic of the match changes with that that Benzema goal, and but I don't know what more there is to say about carrying Benzema at the moment. It's just he's for me right now, and obviously this is arbitrary comparison. It doesn't really matter, but for me. He's the best player in the world right now. Certainly t- attacking player. His attacking output is better than any other player I'm watching right now. And it's not just in the goals he scores. It's, it's, it's in his all-round game. He's just so purposeful. Everything he does produces something, whether it's a good pass or a dribble or a shot or an off-the-ball run. And it's, it's great watching a player who has been a different sort of player at various different times of his career. So at the, at the start, he was this explosive wonder kid. Then he was the support act. Now he's the headliner. And it's kind of like he's taken all those experiences at 33, 34, whatever age he is now. And he's just become the complete forward. And it's incredible to watch Karim, Karim Benzema right now. And 
it is, if we cast our mind back to the classical where Real Madrid got demolished by Barcelona at, at the Bernabeu, it, it really does feel like it's a one-man team. And I say it's a one-man team because, it, yes, there are other players. When Benzema's on the pitch, other players contribute. So Vinicius in this game is very good. Modric in this game is very good. So there, it's not as if he's the only one doing anything on the pitch, but you take Benzema out of that team and all of a sudden Vinicius doesn't have anyone to link up with. All of a sudden, Luka Modric doesn't have anyone to feed the ball into. So all these great players around them are all of a sudden not so great. So it, it, I can't think of a team at the elite level of European football right now who, that is so dependent on a single player as much as Real Madrid are on Benzema right now. Graham, if if Carlo Ancelotti is Real Madrid's like kind, gentle grandpa, is is Karim Benzema like the dad of Real Madrid? Maybe he and Luka Modric are co-parents. <laughs> but I, I in this game, I agree with you entirely. He just was such the, like, okay, everyone, it's going to be fine. Like, we're going to stop. We're going to make plans. It's going to be okay. Uh, <laughs> Vinny Jr., just take your time, Rodrigo. Don't panic. Like, I, you could just see him, and I'm, he wasn't really calm. I, I saw him giving very, like, general-like instructions. They were very, like, delivered in an emphatic way. But I, I just feel like he is this sort of presence who can find a way to score a goal when you absolutely need him to. And I think for that opener from Madrid... It's a it's a it's a good take. It's an opportunistic finish, and I want to also spotlight that Madrid win the ball back high because Luka Modric works his socks off and puts in a really excellent tackle. And it's the type of tackle where he wins the ball and passes it in the same moment. And uh, I think he wins it, plays it to a teammate, teammate plays it wide, ball comes in, Benzema scores, and right there. So it's really good work from one parent, and then it's a really good goal from the other <laughs> to sort of lead by example. Uh, okay, Taylor, that's an interesting way of framing it. Who Who is Man City's parents then? Uh, is Bernardo Silva one of them, possibly? I thought he was pretty good in this game, and he, he gave us a good lesson in playing to the whistle, did he not? He certainly did. He certainly did. The commentators loved that goal. It was... Talked about it in the in like the level of like a Maradona dribble through the England defense. There you go, Rana. Really? Get a shot at England in. <laughs> I mean, I think it was just a lot of like, what a majestic stride, a mercurial finish. And I think it was a good finish. He hits the ball very, very, very hard. But I think a lot of the praise comes from him staying alert to the opportunity versus like, I think Kamavinga fully stops and starts talking to his teammates, assuming the free kick is coming. And so I think, yeah, there's there's an alertness that you need. Yeah, Bernardo Silva, you got to have alert parents. You can't be on a road trip and have the parents both zone out. That could be a problem. And I think <laughs> Bernardo Silva stays focused on the road ahead so he sees the traffic coming. Yeah, I... I... I don't know if this is something that translates into American audiences, but see, here in Britain, there is nothing British football fans and pundits like better than a referee playing a good advantage. The referee from in this game got us so much praise yep. for playing that advantage when, I, you know, I thought it was a fairly love, straightforward advantage but there you go Graham I love those moments like Mike Dean I think is famous for them where, where it looks like he's celebrating a goal <laughs> yeah. at times but it's really because he's so proud of himself for letting advantage go that leads to a goal that he will celebrate his own decision I do really enjoy those moments from him Mike Dean definitely would have fist pumped in that situation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he probably did at home. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm not. I think the comparison to Madonna against England Taylor is a bit rich. It was Zinchenko passed out on the floor and all the Madrid players stopping, basically, right? I mean, uh, you can compare him to Madonna if you want to. Yeah, I would say Maradona. I was going to pick that up you. as well. Did whatever you I want to go with Madonna? That. You did. <laughs> which, which confused me for a moment. I was like, I was he wearing like a cone bra that I missed? I didn't see that from from uh, from either Foden or from Bernardo Silva. But you never oh, know. They could have had something on there. Huh? 
Okay. Anyway, I'm having a fantastic day. Uh, Joe, anyone else on Man City we should pick up? Obviously, uh, Gabriel Jesus is in great form at the moment. And Phil Foden very much doing Phil Foden things in this game. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk about Jesus for just a second. The goal that he scores in the 11th minute is a good goal, and it's good composure from him. But I think it does spotlight some additional poor defending from Real Madrid. David Alaba is right behind Gabriel Jesus as the ball comes in from Kevin De Bruyne on the left wing. And instead of just staying tight to Jesus and not letting him turn after he receives the ball, or just banking on the fact that his first touch was going to be a little poor and maybe you can nick the the second touch or, or nick it out right before he gets that second touch, David Alaba tries to come around in front of Jesus as the ball is coming in to almost reach around like you would defend a pass in the NFL, to reach around, except with his leg instead of his arm, to, to reach around and stick his leg out and try to break up that pass as it comes in from De Bruyne to Jesus. He can't do that. Now, the ball's maybe, Jesus is maybe a little fortunate to still recover that ball, but it comes right back to him and he shoots and it's a pretty straightforward look. From there, I think that was a mistake from David Alaba, just like there were a whole mess of defensive mistakes from Real Madrid in this game. Part of the reason, Ryan, to go back, I think this was the very first question you asked Taylor about this game, to go back to why it was so open, is because I think Real Madrid is just not good at defending teams. They're not good at defending teams that have an equal amount of quality or even more quality than they do. They can certainly dominate against teams in La Liga, and we're seeing that in large part in La Liga this season. But man, they are not very disciplined at the back. They're not very structured. You'd be hard-pressed to find two teams that approach tactics more differently than Real Madrid and Manchester City. City are well-drilled. They're fluid in possession, but in a purposeful kind of way. They're structured defensively. I know there were some lapses, certainly, but we already talked about that. And I think they are more individual than team-wide. But Real Madrid, it's almost like Carlo Ancelotti is that fun grandpa that lets you get away with whatever you want, right? Oh, you want to you wanna step forward all the way into midfield to try and win that ball on the press? Absolutely, Nacho. You can go ahead and do that. Militao, you want to do the same? That's totally fine. David Alaba comes off at halftime in this game. Nacho comes on for him. But I don't think it got dramatically better after the half. I just think this is Real Madrid, which is why I think City should absolutely be favored to move on to the final coming into the second leg next week. If Ancelotti's the grandpa and we've got the parents as well, is 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 like Alaba the small child who gets turned by Jesus very easily? <laughs> I think the actual small child is just Rodrigo on the right wing, but yeah. <laughs> Alaba's the small child who celebrates with the plastic chairs. <laughs> that's right, that's right. The, uh, the, Joe, sorry, the, like, I'm I'm glad we're on Ancelotti for one more moment because like I, I hope this ends up being some form of a question, but like I, I was really confused uh, at the end of this game. I remain confused by everything Madrid did, basically, because Ancelotti has that reputation for let the players play, I'm going to instill some tactics, I'm going to have some ideas for what I want to happen, but ultimately it's the player's game, I'm going to like empower you to play the way you want to, and that can go really well, but it can also lead to him getting sacked by Bayern and the Bayern players saying, we needed more instruction, we needed there to be more tactical training, and so there is that balance there, and it felt to me like this game had the positives and negatives of Ancelotti all in one, that there was that lax approach. And I totally agree. It turns out if you have attacking fullback, attacking fullback, attacking center back and outright center back, and then an attacking midfielder as your holding midfielder, not a lot of defending happening there. But I did see tactical adjustments to start the half. There's the substitution you mentioned, but it also seemed like Modric was going uh, further up to almost partner Benzema at times. They shift into like a 4-4-1-1 on the defensive side of things so that they can break more, uh, more efficiently and effectively. That leads to the goal, obviously. So I saw good adjustments from Ancelotti. I saw good game management, but I also saw some of that sort of lax approach on display as well. So it's, I guess to me, 
a good managerial performance and simultaneously not that good. And I'm not quite sure yeah. how to bridge those two things. I, I can't understand why he didn't start Camavinga in central midfield and then Fede Valverde on the on the right sides of the attack, as he has done in the last two rounds, which has worked really, really yeah. well away from home. And the thing with Camavinga is, with City and the way they were playing with Cruz as, as, the, as the single pivot in the centre midfield, it just it was as simple as Real Madrid weren't getting to City quick enough. And that's one of the things that Camavinga is really good at, is, is getting to players quickly. Everything he does is quickly, whether it's on or off the ball. So having Camavinga in that central midfield, rather than Valverde, and having Valverde drop in to make a four when Real Madrid are out of possession... Look, I'm not Carlo Ancelotti. Carl Ancelotti, maybe he had a better idea of, of things, but that felt like an obvious thing for uh, Real Madrid to do. And it wasn't until the 70th minute when Camavinga comes comes on. And even then, it's it's uh, Modric goes off at around that time. Ceballos comes on. So there's a, a drop-off in talent there. I can't really understand why he didn't do that sooner. My final question for you, gents, is who feels more confident going into the second leg here? Obviously, Man City with a 4-3 lead, but, you know, we've seen these kind of things turn before. And I don't know, Taylor, we've got, we'll have a Man City side probably with uh, more fullbacks to pick from. We might have Casemiro back for the, for the next game as well. How do you think that one sits for the second leg, Taylor? I, it's really confusing. I think the best answer I can give you is... I think I would rather be in Man City's position, but I think Real Madrid might be feeling more confident because they're able to kind of keep pegging City back. City don't end up getting the larger gap of victory that we thought there might be. I mean, it could have been like five to one <laughs> if if things went a, a different way. So I think that Madrid are still very much in this one, but also showed that they can play through City, that they can find a way to get goals, and now they're going home. I think... Madrid will be feeling confident, but I think Man City obviously have the better position. Joseph, do you concur? I, I think City are more confident and City have the better position. That's where I fall. <laughs> I would agree. They are a goal ahead. Uh, Graham? <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be exactly the same game because I, I from what we've seen in the Champions League so far this season, this is how Real Madrid also play at home. So <laughs> from that perspective, I, uh, I think City will go through, but I think it's going to be another entertaining match next week. Let's hope so. Wonderful stuff. would not take another very quick break. When we come back, Liverpool 2, Villarreal nil. Back to it shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Uh, let's talk about the Wednesday evening Champions League semi-final first leg. Liverpool 2, Villarreal 0. Um, a slightly lower quality match than the one the previous evening, or maybe in terms of entertainment value at the very least. Um, Taylor, in our group chat, I think you described this as uh, putting a Mentos mint inside a Coca-Cola bottle and just waiting for that 
that pressure's building up and building up. And it felt like when the two Liverpool goes went in uh, in the second half, it was like a pressure release valve going off a little bit on this game, wasn't it? Yes, I think it absolutely was. Also, credit to you, Ryan, because I think I said Amento, and I think Amentos Mint is probably the better way to classify that thing. A single Mento sounds odd. But yeah, like the <laughs> most of the first half, it was. And I do think this was deliberate by Liverpool. I think Liverpool practiced not losing their cool, not biting on any of the tricks, and not punching Juan Foyth when he carried the ball away on a throw-in for the seventh time. Uh, And I really love Luis Diaz just waiting, picking his moment, and poking the ball away, then collecting it and throwing it back. Liverpool take the throw-in really, really quickly, and away we go. But you could see those moments of just pure frustration boiling up, and then they all had to work to calm down. Jordan Henderson has one in the first 20 minutes, I think, where he is starts to scream and then remembers, like, right, I'm not supposed to do this, and you can just see him walk back calmly. And that was the pressure that I saw there, was just the frustration was getting closer and closer to the surface. And I think if Villarreal had been able to hang on for maybe just, like, 10 more minutes uh, than when they conceded, I wonder how much that frustration would have boiled over. But instead, and I think it's a credit to the Anfield crowd, there was never audible frustration that I could hear. Instead, any good switch of play, any good decision to pass the ball, anytime they worked to win the ball back, which was often the crowd picked them up. And when uh, Villarreal would be forced backwards and Sadio Mane would go pressing one guy, the ball goes backwards. Sadio Mane presses that guy, the ball goes all the way back to the goal- goalkeeper and Sadio Mane continues to chase it. The crowd picked him up and cheered. And I think that energy really bled into the team and motivated them to keep going and I think had a big impact on this game. And so in the end, Liverpool do get to vent that pressure. We get the Mentos Mint explosion of happiness and we get it twice for Liverpool. We do indeed. Jordan uh, Henderson having a cross turned in for an own goal and then Sadio Mane linking up with Mo Salah for the two goals in this one in short succession. Joe, um, Villarreal, one shot in the entire game. It felt like they kind of lacked the intensity they showed against Bayern Munich. Maybe that's uh, as a result of the team they were facing, of course. What did you make of Villarreal's performance here? And, um, you know, the the way they were able to hold on, at least for the first half. They couldn't find the same balance between attack and defense that they found against Bayern and before that against Juve, right? They've had a really impressive run in the Champions League that looks like it's about to be over, unfortunately, because they couldn't find that balance. Ryan, as you mentioned, one shot in this game, 27% possession, they, they were pretty extreme against Bayern in that second leg. I think they had 30-something percent possession. They're trying to sit deep. They're trying to compress space and, and make up for the talent disadvantage that they're at against these giants of Europe, right? They're not a giant. We talked about the size of the town. Whatever that is and however many you know conspiracies <laughs> there are with Valencia, it's still not the same thing. These teams are on entirely different levels, and they are at entirely different uh, they, they have entirely different abilities to recruit players. So there is that difference here. And Villarreal tried to make up for that by defending very, very deep. And they did that in this game. And I thought in large part, at least in the first half, they did an excellent job of limiting Liverpool's chances. They had very few good looks in the first half. They had very few good looks really for the majority of this game. But by sacrificing so much to sit deep, we didn't see them play quite as effectively. We didn't see them have quite as many opportunities to break out in transition, which is one piece of this Real attack. They, they couldn't really get forward, and Liverpool did a good job pinning them back. The other piece, though, is Real aren't this classic bottom-of-the-Premier-League-table team that's going to sit deep and, and bunker and then hit long on the counter. They'll do some of that stuff, and they did in this game. But man, what they do so, so well with the ball, and we see this way more in La Liga, but certainly still in the Champions League, 
is they'll actually play. They'll, they'll, they'll possess it. They'll build with short passes from the back, and they're lovely to watch. They were absolutely fantastic to watch against Bayern Munich with the ball. They didn't have much of it, but they were wonderful when they had possession. In this game, they had a couple of nice build-up moments, but Liverpool with their pressing structure in that 4-3-3, pushing up their two number eights, Henderson and Thiago, onto Villarreal's double pivot of Parejo and Capu. You know, they didn't really have any room to build. And even when they did build, which was still enough in this game, I think Unai Emery had chances. Unai Emery would say his team had chances to build. They were a little sloppy. And Liverpool's press, I think, got the better of them. So between the opponent, Ryan, as you led me in there, Liverpool being a, a just a giant of the pressing game, between that and between the fact that they were so deep for so long in this game, and just between, I think, some errors that maybe weren't there in possession earlier on in this Champions League run, this just wasn't what Villarreal needed from this game, and being down 2-0 headed into that second leg at home feels like a bit of a death sentence, which is super unfortunate because, again, lovely to watch, and they had some good moments in this game, but just not enough of those good moments. Yeah. Lo Celso just wasn't able to get into this this game at all, and he was going to be one of the keys of the, of the match before kickoff. He was very easy to identify because of how he'd played against Juventus and in, in both legs against Bayern Munich and Liverpool, as you say, Joe, they were just they, Liverpool were just getting on top of Parejo as well, who's very important to how Villarreal play through the middle of the pitch. They were getting on top of him, they were getting on top of Lo Celso, they were getting on top of Kapui and they just never had any sort of supply line to Chukwueze um, and I forget who the other forward was Danjuma they didn't have a single decent opportunity in, in the whole match and that's reflected in their expected goals of 0.08 at full time and it's the first time under Emery that they have failed to register a single shot on target in a match so I think that's a sign that as well as Villarreal did do defensively and up until half time I kind of thought things were going to plan for them despite the fact they were struggling to get out but the, those, those, uh, la those lack of chances, those lack of shots, the expected goals is a reflection of how it didn't really go to plan for them. And if they're gonna, if they're gonna have any chance of clawing this back in the second leg, and I do think they've got a, I was gonna say a reasonable chance. That might be overstating it. There's a slim chance that they might be able to do it, but they're gonna need to just get more of a foothold in in the game because Liverpool. I'm not sure Liverpool tried anything all that different to make the breakthrough but when you are putting balls into the box and you're having that many players in the box weird stuff can happen like deflections and goalkeepers kind of palming it into their their own net by the way really should have done better with that in my opinion uh, and I think it's slightly weird that Villarreal as this well-drilled um disciplined defensive unit have this slightly erratic unpredictable goalkeeper but there there you go um but yeah as i say weird things like that can happen when just minute after minute villarreal are having to to face kind of goal scoring actions from liverpool is that really his positioning you're calling up there graham his positioning but also just the and this is going to sound very fundamental and i'm not a goalkeeping expert but also just the lack of strength in his hand and his wrist he gets a full hand to the ball but in, t in trying to slap it away it just kind of goes through his fingers um so yeah i thought he should have done better with graham that. you're arguing against nature here birds want to fly fish want to swim a man named geronimo is going to do some <laughs> wild stuff that's just how it's got to work my friend uh no i i'm with you though i think he 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 gambles a little bit and anticipates where the ball is going to be and does not anticipate the deflection. And I think that that was the difference. Obviously, it leads to the first goal, and that makes a huge difference. But it's also, I think, Liverpool just trying stuff, trying to make things happen. And obviously, the big switch was the thing they were going for 
early and often, but I think it was also just anything you can do to throw Villarreal off, to make them have to improvise and break out of their sort of disciplined defensive shell. And I think little moments like that, big switches, but also just hitting the cross and hoping and getting a favorable deflection, that can be what it takes. And on the day, that is what uh, made the difference for that first goal. Obviously, the finish is, is well, it's not a finish. It's it's, uh, it's fortunate that it ends up in the back of the net. But I did think the lead up to that goal, it kind of demonstrated a lot of what Liverpool do well and what makes them so good. So there's the, the, the clever little turn from Thiago, which instantly turns a sort of nothing short pass into a dangerous attacking situation. And there was a number of situations that he created like that. That Thiago turn is becoming a bit of a trademark of his for Liverpool. And then there's the pass into the middle where Villarreal don't really know whether to step out or to stay back. Then there's the overlapping run from Henderson, which he does a lot, by the way, Jordan Henderson. He's at times he's almost a right. He's a he's a right winger at times. You know, he's, he 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 helps Alexander Arnold a lot out there with both cover and also just having a you know a, a wall to bounce passes off. But he's an overlapping run in this instance, and then obviously there's the cross in the middle that ends up in, into the back of the, into the back of the the net. But he, the second goal as well kind of demonstrates what Liverpool do to opposition teams because the Villarreal are slightly unsettled by that first goal and then just for a split second Pau Torres doesn't know whether to drop deep or whether to step up he does neither when Salah has the ball and that allows Salah to turn and then there's the the, the twofold impact of that decision or that indecision I should say is that it creates space for Manny to then run in behind and the pass is played and it's all done so intricately in, in such uh, small areas but that is there's no team in world football better at creating those moments of doubt in an opposite opposition team team's mind and it's just a split second of doubt from Pau Torres who I rate very highly and I think he's going to be an elite level defender for a long time to come but just that split second of doubt and Liverpool exploit those moments ruthlessly and they did it for the second goal there yeah Taylor it's just occurred to me is the Everton the Merseyside derby really good preparation for playing Villarreal in the you know Diego Lampard's uh, poop housery um, sort of set them up to to be well prepared for what Villarreal were bringing as well. Like the, the housery they showed against Bayern didn't seem to quite have its same effect here. And I know that, you know, Liverpool, they're, they're really fit. They're tenacious. They're so, so intense. They can sort of get through a lot of that. But it, it felt like maybe the Everton game was well-timed coming into this. Yeah, I think, Graham, didn't you make that point on the weekend review that like if you're Villarreal, you would have watched Everton yeah. and seen that they had some joy. But simultaneously, I think, yeah, it does kind of set... Liverpool up to know what a defensive team is going to be like and mm. how you've got to stay calm. Yeah, they've become poop house proof, maybe. <laughs> well, I think I really do think like I, I want to emphasize that again, because I don't see a way for Villarreal back into this game. I saw a couple different people pointing out that like it's two minutes where those two goals happen. And if you're Unai Emery, you can come away from this saying we had 88 minutes of our, of our game plan played well, and if we can just do that next time, and that's where it falls down, because the answer is, if we can just do that next time, we'll draw nil-nil and be eliminated. So you not only have to not let them score those two goals, you also have to find a way to get back into it and score some goals yourself. And I do think that preparation from Liverpool that I think was there about not r- taking the bait, not getting overly frustrated... It made the difference because if you are trying to play this very, very demanding style of play as Liverpool do, a a half second of complaining or just taking a moment to be mad or yell at the referee or get into a scrap with the other team 
it just takes your focus off the game. And Villarreal, Atleti as well, both very adept at doing that and kind of pushing that limit and making teams lose that focus so then they can find a way through. I don't think Liverpool took the bait on the night. And I think it's going to be way harder to bait them when they're up 2-0 in the second leg and know that they need to keep their calm. I just, I, I think Villarreal will struggle to create chances again, but I also think they'll struggle to get Liverpool, to get under their skin, basically, and take them out of their game. So ultimately, I think Liverpool uh, should be feeling very, very confident and very, very optimistic uh, to be in the final. Liverpool have Newcastle this weekend, so I think Villarreal's only hope is that John Joe Shelby halves every single Liverpool midfielder, which allows Villarreal to then kind of construct moves, and then maybe maybe they've got John Joe Shelby to, to thank. Well, uh, Joe, why don't we talk about some Liverpool midfielders? And just this this team in general just deserves quite a lot of love. Just the way they are gearing up in this manner at this such important time of the season. They've got so many trophies on the line here. But, you know, Thiago had a, a wonderful game here, Joe. He, if that shot that he had from long range had gone in I think we'd be watching that for years and um, Jonathan Liu in The Guardian who's always worth a read I'll, I'll read you this sentence um, that he wrote about Fabinho he said and even when Villarreal did carve out a half opening Fabinho was there with the tackle not just taking the ball but taking all memory of the ball to the point where you can no longer be sure whether you even had it um, Joe, your thoughts on that and, and Liverpool's midfield? Just let's just give them some love, shall we? Jonathan Liu is good at writing. Is my first thought there. He's yeah. he's excellent. Liverpool are unreal. They're they're so so good. They are one of the two best teams in the world right now. Manchester City being the other. They have been for quite some time now this season. And what Jurgen Klopp is doing and has done along with the the front office of this team and, and the rest of his staff is incredibly impressive, and there's a reason why David Ornstein's reporting that Klopp is extended until 2026, and along with the rest of his staff, getting a multi-year extension. They've earned it. This team is is ridiculous. The midfield, Ryan, you're absolutely right to point us there. Jordan Henderson's aggressive. I think he is. I still think he's the the best option to partner Thiago and Fabinho in that group. I know Naby is a strong option there as well, but I think he's so selfless in his positioning and his movement. So often he's the one making overlapping runs on that right side, so Trent Alexander-Arnold can come in and create a little bit in the half space. We certainly see Henderson overlap on Liverpool's first goal. And then you've got Thiago, who is just unreal. Uh, He's so, so good on the ball, really technical, aggressive when he needs to be as well on the counter press, can step forward and press in in the high press as well. He's so good. And Fabinho, Ryan, is is great at covering ground and reading play. He's kind of this next-generation Deep lying number six that's still not hugely athletic in terms of straight straight line speed or or even all that quick in tight spaces, but he reads play so quickly. Like Rodri, those two I think are, are two of the best at doing that right now in modern soccer. You'd be hard pressed to find a team that's playing better than Liverpool right now. There's only one team in contention for that, and that's Manchester City. And I think between those two teams, Liverpool certainly controlled their game with an easier opponent, admittedly, than Liverpool controlled theirs against Real Madrid. Yeah, feels like we might just be seeing those two teams in the final of this here competition. Graham, we had uh, Jurgen Klopp after the game saying, you know, it's 2-0, it's half time. You know, we can't take anything for granted here. But are Liverpool in any... I mean, Taylor's made it sort of reinforce my opinion that I think this one's probably done. Are you, are you on the same opinion, Graham? Not quite. I don't I don't think it's done. Just because I, I'm, I'm reluctant to write off a team that has knocked out knocked out uh, Juventus and Bayern Munich in, in the last two rounds. And 2-0, yes, Liverpool are strong favourites, but they are within just about touching distance still of Liverpool. Had it been three or four, then yes, it's it's done. 
But um, they're going to have to make changes. They're going to have to have a lot more joy through the centre of the pitch. And they're going to have to play even better defensively because they can't concede another two goals. So they are going to have to raise their performance to probably the levels of... Well, they're going to have to repeat the, the first leg performance against Bayern Munich. That's the sort of level you're, you're going to have to play at if you're Villarreal. And even then, they're going to need to be uh, better at taking opportunities in, in, in front of goal because obviously they only scored one goal in that match. So we're going to have to see a level from them that we've they've not produced so far. Is it? Can they do it? I think they can, but only just. I don't think it'll happen. I think Liverpool are going to make the final. Uh, Taylor, I spoke for you there. Are, are we? Are we thinking that the the Coke bottle is going to be open, the lids off, and the Mentos mints going in in the first minute next week? Yeah, I, I do think that. I think it's going to be Liverpool trying to kill that game pretty early. Uh, I, I, similar to what I said about Man City, I just don't think there's not a Liverpool team that can sit deep and bunker and kind of wait. Uh, I feel like Liverpool will go at them, try to make them uncomfortable, and it does feel like it could be one of those games where we're all set to see how do VRL play themselves back into this? What are they going to do? Oh, they conceded. And it's 3-0 aggregate, and maybe this game is over. I hope I'm wrong. And I agree with Graham that it would be a mistake to write off VRL uh, for everything they've done this season and previously. <laughs> They're just a team that you don't want to write off, especially with Unai Emery there. But ultimately, I would fully expect Liverpool to make their way to the final. Joe, in making it a perfect four in the opinion slate here? Four for four, baby. Four a perfect four. four. All right. Thank you very much, Joseph. Uh, while I'm with you, Joe, we should also talk about the CONCACAF Champions League final first leg, which also took place on Wednesday evening at uh, in Italy, 4.30 a.m. local time. Goodness me. Goodness me. Uh, not one for me to stay up for, but Pumas against um, Seattle here finishing in a Desmond. Yes. Two, it is a shot that they didn't schedule it for Italian time. It's, uh, it's downright rude, I'd say, Graham. <laughs> downright rude. Um, but we had some slightly Ita- more Italian than Mexican weather, I'd say. It was quite rainy in Mexico City for this one, Joe. Um, Seattle fighting back from 2-0 down with a brace of penalties uh, from Nicolas Sondero, including one in the 99th minute. And uh, also um, Pumas getting a penalty there in their wonder. Graham, we're going to talk about their kits in a minute. But Joe, your, your thoughts on this game to start off with? I think Seattle was the better team, which is impressive going down to Mexico. It's not like Pumas are a giant in terms of their position in the table. Right now, they're not inside the top 10 in Liga MX. They have not been particularly good this season, but they have made a run all the way to the CCL final. Seattle were unfortunate to to concede that first goal, which is a penalty from Dineno. It's it's a soft penalty. I can understand why it's called, but it, it, it maybe is not one that I would have called. But there's also a reason I'm not a referee. Ariaga is late there and there is some contact. It just feels a little soft. But never fear, because Christian Roldan, in, in my opinion, gets a soft penalty to, to enable Nico Ladero to equalize in the 99th minute. So it did all sort of work out in that way. Neither team, I thought, was all that inspiring. And, and Seattle, with how they play, is never particularly expansive or just wonderful to watch. They just have a, a ton of talent, and Brian Schmetzer puts that talent out on the field. Somewhat similar to a, a slightly less chaotic version of Carlo Ancelotti and Real Madrid in their relative spheres, I should be very clear. Seattle came out. They're in this 4-4-2 block. Pumas is in a 4-2-3-1 shape that then becomes a back three for a lot of the time, with Fabio Alvarez drifting in from right wing to become an attacking midfielder underneath a front two or just to the outside of that front two. I liked a lot of Pumas' rotations in this game, but they didn't create a ton of really clear-cut chances. The one goal that scored an open play in this game does come from Pumas. It's a lovely cross from the right side into Dineno in the box that comes from Pumas just outplaying Seattle in that build-up. Alvarez tucks and, and pins Jordan Morris inside on the left side for Seattle and frees up space on the right for, for his own team. So that's a nicely well-worked goal from Pumas, but in general, 
Seattle had more chances. Rui Diaz had a couple. Jao Paulo had one that was bouncing to him at the six. It's a really tough finish, and he, he doesn't finish it. There's opportunities here in this game, generally better ones for Seattle, and overall, a massive result for them to come back to Seattle next week and have a chance to win this thing for the first time in MLS history, as at least as it's been branded as the CONCACAF Champions League. Seattle's in a, a pretty good spot, and I think they should be generally, ple- generally pleased with the result they got last night. Joe, you're obviously watching uh, Seattle far more often than I am. Uh, what does like a better Seattle team look like in that home leg? Like, are there any things you think like uh, like Nico Ladero, for example, has the brace, but Stu Holden was advocating for him to be subbed pretty early yeah. in the second half, and I think with some justification. Like, are there certain players in this game that you think didn't quite? Uh, perform to their usual level? Were there things Seattle just didn't get right that maybe they could improve in that second leg? What could be the difference, do you think? Yeah, first, the subs thing was weird. Jordan Morris was the first player to come off, and Seattle was well into the 80th minute, right? It was the 87th minute for Kellen Rowe coming on for Jordan Morris. That was the first sub, and I I just didn't understand that at all. But setting that aside, I think that could have been a nice thing for Seattle to get more players on. Taylor, to answer your question, I don't think the center backs for Seattle were good at all in this game. Yaimar, I think, had a, a very poor game wasn't all that active marking in the box uh wasn't all that disciplined outside the box either same with Ariaga. he gets dusted in the first half just skates uh Pumas player skates right by him and then he has the penalty conceded against him or maybe he sees it a little bit late but that's after Yaimar's been pulled up out of the back line so not a good performance from the center backs and I don't know this wasn't Seattle's best lockdown defensive performance in general. They were always going to come into this game and play a 4-4-2 or a 4-4-1-1 defensive block, and they did that. But as I mentioned, I think Fabio Alvarez gave them fits. I don't think they were prepared for that, or at least you couldn't tell that they were prepared to deal with a winger coming inside in the way that Alvarez did. And they didn't do a very good job of tracking him or, or adjusting their defensive shape to account for his positioning and then also deal with the, the right back on that side as well. So that's one thing that I think Brian Schmetzer will want to improve in addition to just being generally more disciplined and a little sharper with the ball. At home in Seattle at Lumen Field, there should be more opportunities for them to be a bit more aggressive in a way that they, they were never really going to be in this game. So, Taylor, I think improved center back play, a little more disciplined defensively from, from individuals, but also certainly as a, a team-wide structure, and then being a bit more aggressive and a little sharper in the attack. Uh, Graham, this game had it all 99th minute equalizers, uh, penalties being called back uh, for VAR infractions, uh, and lovely kits. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I I like the Pumas kits with the the big. Well, I guess it's a Puma the, on the front of it, the oversized motive on the on on the front of it. But Seattle also brought their A game with the kits cracking open the the Jimi Hendrix kit for this one, despite the fact that they, I think they could have worn their their home kit and there wouldn't have been a clash for for this match. But uh, I'm not so keen on the home kit. I like the concept, but I don't think the execution's that good. But the Jimi Hendrix one is an all-time MLS classic. So they brought their A-game. Don't let Marshall Lynch hear you say you don't like that kit, Graham. He really, really wants you to attend a game in Seattle next Tuesday. Um, And he's willing to swear at you to to get you to go there. He's willing to launch a football or soccer ball like 12 miles. I've, I've never seen someone with such bad technique kick a soccer ball so far. It was terrifying. <laughs> it's impossible not to love him. Fascinating. I just learned about Pumas's colors. Go on. Uh, which uh, I'll, I'll give you a good hint. Which very famous college football team do you think inspired their color scheme? 
Notre Dame. I mean, that is correct. It is indeed Notre Dame. Apparently, former coaches from Notre Dame, because uh, it's, uh, it's like the university yeah. is where they started, right? Yep. So they started an American football program there, uh, some Notre Dame coaches, and that's uh, how they got the color scheme. So there you go. Notre Dame inspires Pumas, but not good enough because Jimi Hendrix beats Notre Dame. That's what we've learned. Yes, I, I definitely knew what color scheme uh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. Hey Grim, yeah. it looks a yeah, lot Notre like Dame, it looks yeah. a lot like Pumas's colors. If that helps at all. <laughs> okay, right. I'm there now. Uh, Thanks, Joe. Joe, I just beat you on a, a football trivia question. You can retire now. Yeah, Ryan. Believe it or not, I was just talking with my family the other day about how I think you're more American than either Taylor or I in so many different ways. This is <laughs> real. This is definitely a, this true. This actually right. happened, and this is just the latest example of that. You're very welcome. You're Can very we just welcome. continue the the argument that Ryan should just support the United States in the World Cup? Like, I really, I'm just going to keep banging yeah. that drum until it eventually um, happens. I, I haven't actually told you on air, guys. Uh, we played, my family played an impromptu game of soccer on our driveway earlier this week um, before we recorded our weekend review. In fact, uh, England versus USA, uh, my children, of course, who are very much American, um, they selected me to be the USA and they were England when we played. <laughs> and uh, I lost. I'm sorry. Oh, Ryan. It sounds about right. Disgraceful. Sounds about right. How dare you? How dare you? Unreal. I apologize to the United I, States I like, I like to think Ryan is just going to come on to the show one day with like this southern drawl and not even mention it. And uh, yeah, that's just how he speaks from then on. You should hear me at the drive-thru at Bojangles, Graham. It's a whole oh. experience. It's a whole experience. That's all I'm saying. All right. We should probably wrap up our show now. Uh, Taylor Rockwell, thank you so much for your contributions on this here Champions League pod. Thank you, my friend. If not for your performance in a U.S. jersey, then for your uh, work hosting today. Good job. Thank you you. very much. I'll get better at both. How's that, Taylor? All right. That's fine. That's all right. (laughs) Graham Rutherford, thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And Joe Lowry, thank you, sir. You got it, Ryan. Listener, we'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. bye.